you give it all out you'll get a, such a positive response whether it's one person or a hundred thousand people it doesn't really matter because one thing you're building up that self-confidence within yourself and that's such a powerful tool and i think always people have to look outside to gain confidence whereas they should be looking inside because that's the biggest tool the biggest power you can ever have is that innate and self-belief and that's what i've had and i think that's what's to be honest a huge driver for why everything has happened the way it is it's just that constant striving for positivity and making things happen hello and welcome to creativity for sale podcast a show to help you start and grow your life-changing creative career and business my name is Ryan malinage and creativity changed my life you see i believe creativity can change your life too i even wrote a book about it and it inspired this podcast I've set out to interview the world's most brilliant creatives, designers, writers, musicians, makers, and marketeers about their life-changing experiences with creativity. If you ever wanted to know how people go from their humble beginnings to the pinnacle of their success, our conversation should provide you with an intimate look into triumphs, challenges, and untold stories behind their creative endeavors. We also discuss the highs and lows of creative careers and creative life. So, Thank you for joining me on this exploration of passion, creativity, innovation and the boundless potential within us all. Let creativity change your life. Are you ready? Today's guest can only be described with one word only and that is unstoppable. He's a true talent and devotee to his art and craft. As he appeared to have collaborated with every major brand so far, performed live shows in front of huge audiences and appeared on TV screens. It's been a real pleasure to follow this man's career for the last few years and I had to get him on the show to share his story on how he's achieved it so far. It's my pleasure to introduce with the one and only Craig Black. Hi Craig, welcome to the Creativity for Sale podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Another busy day in the studio. Delighted to be speaking to you, mate. It's been a while. Yeah, and we've been trying to make it for a while and I haven't seen you in person for a while. I know. And yeah, I thought about you in a good way as I was proof listening the audiobook for Creativity for Sale and there's a section on there's no such thing as an overnight success. And it made me think about how long did it take for you to get to where you are today? The thing that you've got today, how oh. long did it take to get to it? Funny enough, I got a text message from four people that I graduated with and it was 10 years ago today that I actually graduated from graphic design college above it. And then the story goes that when I graduated, I went to London and I worked for two and a half years with agencies. But in the background, I always wanted to do my own agency or I wanted to specialize in typography and lettering. In the background, those two and a half years, I was like, evenings, weekend, practicing my craft. No one knew I was doing this. I was in the background just crafting away, building up and building up. And then after two and a half years and getting sick and tired of agency life, I was like, I'm going to go out on more and just go for it. With lack of knowledge, not lack of business sense, lack of money. But somehow in some form through determination, focus, discipline, I made it work. And I had a career for, I think it was five or six years running my studio as a typographer and lettering artist. And I got to work with some of the biggest brands across the world, creating amazing word marks and lettering compositions. And it was super tough. It was super tough. Learn, I was reading your book recently and all that you learn from your failures. As much as someone can write a book and tell you, don't do this, don't do this. It's not until you do it and you go, ah, shit, I'll never do that again. And I learned the hard way. Well, I'm so glad it happened because I learned so much from it and I've never done those mistakes again. But then after those six years, I basically come to a point in terms of typography where I accomplished my dream typographic project, which was creating the typeface for my boyhood football club, which was Rangers Football Club up here in Scotland. It was a dream come true. And I put my heart and soul into that project. That was everything to me everything to my family, friends, everybody. So when I accomplished that and it was well received, it was game over in terms of type. There was nothing I wanted to do anymore. Funny enough, I'd offered from Premier League clubs, La Liga clubs, but I had zero interest. Like it was all time for me to evolve as a creative. And it was a pinnacle time actually because my daughter was born and we had a two bedroom flat apartment. 
So I was working from the spare bedroom. And then when she was born, she took over that spare bedroom and I had to find a new place to work. So it was one of those moments, do I get an office or do I go find a studio where I could throw paint about? Now, the reason for that throw paint about was two years prior to that moment of what to do next, I started to develop the idea of becoming a visual artist. Way back when I was a kid, I've always wanted to become an artist. Even when I was in doing graphic design, all I wanted to do was become an artist, but I knew I had to build a brand. I had to find out what that thing was that I wanted to do as an artist and I didn't know it yet. And the funny weird thing that happened was, it's going back nearly, what, six years ago now, maybe five. My wife, Ali, comes home one day and she's got these crazy gym leggings on and they've got this crazy pattern on them, which looked like acrylic fusion. She walks in the door. She had this crazy pattern and my head, the creative cogs were going in my head and I thought, how does someone create that pattern? I went to YouTube, typed in paint mixing, paint pouring. You know how you watch one video, lead to another video. And I literally ran out of the house, went to a store, bought acrylic paints and all that stuff, brought a little canvas and I thought, I'm going to do this now. And I created this, my very first piece of acrylic fusion artwork. And I was instantly hooked. And I knew from that moment, this is what's going to change my life. This is what I'm going to do. But I didn't. From that moment, I was getting back to my previous knowledge of two years of practicing in the dark, if you want to call it that, every weekends and evenings. That's what I did with Acrylic Fusion. Two years of just practicing, making sure when that time came that I was going to launch to the world. Here I am. I'm a visual artist. I'm ready because I wanted to make sure that one, I was creditable in what I was doing, but also when that challenge comes, rather than going, oh fuck, I'm going to just have to figure this out, having a bit of gravitas and going, I have the confidence to go ahead and I can do this kind of thing. Still, to this day, there's projects that come in, I have no idea what I'm doing, but having that two years of confidence and practicing made a huge benefit to me and a huge confidence as well. And then now, three years ago, when I launched The Visual Artist, my whole life changed, to be honest. It all started off a self-initiated project as well. We've still spoke about this in the past, how important that is, self-initiated projects. So when I ended the typographic game, everyone was like, why would you be doing that? You're at the peak of what you're doing. And I'm like, no, that's the perfect time for me to leave and evolve. But then as I stepped into a visual artist, no one knew. Honestly, the only person who knew was Ali. And I've always relied on self-initiated work to get commercial projects in the door over the past six years as a typographic artist. Scotland national football team qualified for the Euros, which is the first time in 22 years. So a lot of heartache for a lot of Scottish people. But I was so excited about it. And I wanted to celebrate that as an artist. So I thought, how cool would it be to do acrylic fusion on a football? And I thought, all right, I'll get the Scotland colours, brand colours. And I, was in my sh- I ended up getting a studio, which I knew I wanted to throw paint about in. And created this ball and the very first time I was mesmerized. I knew this was going to be game changing. I knew instantly. I phoned Ali and I was like, come up here right away. We just had our daughter Olivia. She's pushing up the hill on a pram to get Olivia and then she knew it. She walked in and she's like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. And I knew from that moment that this was something that's going to change everything for us. I had to be strategic in how I announced myself to the world as a visual artist. So instead of just launching that single ball I had six months until the Euros kicked off so I created a full series of footballs which is actually all these footballs behind me right now so I think it was like seven countries at a showcase Um, and what I did by that was showcasing the process of how the ball was created to the final result imagery for all that for each ball and also a video for each ball process to final and then a compilation video. So there's so much content that I created, which lasted for five or six weeks and when the tournament was on. So it was very strategic in what I was doing like in terms of when England were playing, I'd released the England ball. When the Netherlands were playing, I'd released the Netherlands ball, which was amazing. But the first thing that I launched was the compilation video, which was the week before the Euros kicked off and it blew up. It literally blew up and everything changed from that moment, which was unbelievable because a week later, UEFA got in touch and said, we want to work with you. Can you do it? Can you come to London tomorrow to do a TV promo? I'm like, hell yeah. And then it just stumbled. Like it was one thing after another. And then the past three years has been an absolute whirlwind of a journey as a visual artist. The best thing about it is that I brought my wife Ali on board. But that was 
the best thing that ever happened because since the day that we met was nearly what eight nine years ago we've always wanted to become a family business it's always we wanted to have that flexibility that was the success is for me having that flexibility and doing things as a family uh, and traveling the world that was always what we wanted to do but we never knew exactly how to make that work and it got to a point about a year and a half ago that i was overwhelmed with projects coming the door so i've always been dealing with the business end and the creative end and i'm sure you know how challenging that is and the reality is that the business end takes up far much more than the creative element to it but what happened specifically was i was in nashville doing an artist residency basically i was out there for five weeks in this museum creating artworks for an exhibition which was unbelievable and they invited me ali and my daughter olivia during that time, I was working with clients in the UK, which was a different time zone. And then I got another project coming from San Francisco, which was another time zone as well, which I think was an additional two hours. So technically, I was working three different time zones in a 24 hours. And I was trying to do family time. I was trying to, I was just overwhelmed. And it was just challenging and it was bearing on me. And it was weight. It was a huge weight. And I basically said to Ali, like, to give you a bit of insight, Ali's been in the background working with me for years. Like, she's always been my support. She's always been my base and she's learned a lot along the way. And also the other thing was I could ask 10 more experienced people in the world and in the game about a certain question and they would all give me the same answer. And if Ali gave me something different, I would always go with her. They just, my gut was telling me she was right and it's always paid off. So when that time came, I said, Ali, I need you to step in here and help me. And she did and it was so quick we set up it was in one evening actually and i had to set up an email address and then the following morning she got flung in the deep end and she was doing the zoom call with a ceo of this company and she dealt with the project management the everything about it all the business end, and she smashed it she literally smashed it and then a week later she got the project signed off if this isn't a sign to join the business now then i don't know what is and she did and she changed everything so she came on board and she deals with all the business element of the business talking to clients accounts all that stuff um, and she loves doing that just seeing her background and smiling away and it frees me up to do the creative element now i still do a lot of the business part as well because i still love that the beauty about all of this is doing it as a family and creating that flexibility that's what it is for me the biggest thing is that we're able to take our little girl to school and drop her off and pick her up when we want and take her off and days off when we want and all that success for me and I've been working towards that for 10 years 10 years before Olivia was born before Raleigh was on the scene that's what I was dreaming about having a family it's not an overnight success and I've asked a long-winded question but it is a lot of hard graphs and discipline I think discipline gets lost in a lot of it people think that they can just stroll along but you've got to be disciplined in what you do and to get to a certain point but it's all about hard graft as well putting things out into the world and then eventually one thing after another picks up picks up picks up and people believe in what you're doing and then that's why i'm these amazing collaborations are happening for me i mean there's so much to unpack in there i mean so much and i just like i mean it's, it was an amazing it was an amazing response and amazing to hear your story in full because i know your journey from the typographic stages and i can i think i can potentially remember when you start doing the acrylic fusion from your typographic pieces for off or something like that i mean that was the beginning and i could see it sort of bubbling but what i didn't know and i think was the greatest value what you said is just how you actually spend time preparing what you were going to do because there's nothing worse what we do as creatives they're like you come up with something and you're like oh, that's going on twitter that's going on instagram i'm showing this to the world i'm going to see what they think because in a way you wouldn't really want to show it to the client when the client asks you like hey can i see something quickly they'll be like not re ready yet but it's, we've got something half-baked and we put it on the internet hoping that everyone will love it which i think is a great paradox of a creative profession but it's what i admire that was that you set yourself these targets and you've got this great discipline and this sort of rigidity about a process that you think that you don't like the business side of things, but the way you promote yourself, the way you go about it, the way I said about the euros and the balls and sort of having a six months plan, that's genius. That's like some people would literally shoot their business straight away going, look, I've got this, this is amazing. Whereas you can see it conceptually. And I think that kind of makes, gives me the sense of like, okay, if you had known for 10 years, you wanted to be a visual artist or even from before that. That's something that lots of people don't have. People dream about things. They'll be like, I would like it to be. Whereas it sounds to me like everything you've created is almost like a stepping stone. Just establishing yourself in one discipline, 
and then carry on somewhere and actually create pivotal career. Obviously, you, it's changing. It's doing something that wasn't necessarily a linear career because you've got people in employment who are juniors, seniors, creative directors, burnout, <laughs> retired, you know, that kind of stuff. So I really, really like seeing this. And what really struck me as the most interesting point was that you did typeface for your favorite childhood club and you said, that's it. I'm done. For some people, that would be like the door open. Let's get started. Let, let's see what happens. And what did you tell yourself when you declined all of those typographic and typeface projects? What, what did you tell yourself? The, the thing is, like, see, with that brand, Rangers Football Club, like, I was in transit with that. I grew up with that. So my older brother and myself used to go to the games and we used to go to Ibrox and I dreamed of playing for them as a footballer, but I wasn't good enough. When this opportunity came, I took the weight of the world on me because it meant so much to not only me, but I knew it was going to mean a lot to my brother, my dad, all the other Rangers fans across the world. It was a huge, huge brand. And I was the sole one to deal with that kind of, I took that responsibility. Not that anyone was giving me pressure and that, in a sense, I knew I had to deliver because football fans are ruthless. And I'm sure you know that if you put a, any kind of rebrand out or any kind of new work that as soon as it's not well received within like 10 seconds of that, then it's it's hard to come back from it. I literally went into so much detail, put so much heart and soul into it. And in fact, I'll tell you an inside story is I only did one concept for that project because I knew exactly what I had to do. I remember going to the stadium and I've done the presentation in front of the whole marketing team and um, some top wigs and stuff like that. And it was probably the most passionate and the most enthusiastic presentation I've ever done in my entire life. I was so emotional. I was shaking at the end of it because it meant so much to me. The bottom curved to an R on a letter R and I was like, this is because of this and that's because the architecture of the stadium and the bluebells and all that stuff. And I meant everything to me and it was such a, an emotional roller coaster. And what happened after that meeting, so I did the typographic part and then I worked with an agency who created the full rebrand. They finished their part of the rebranding in the presentation. So the head of marketing, who is now, the, I think he's the CEO of Rangers Football Club, stood up and says, listen, I just want to say, Craig, that was one of the best presentations I've ever done. I absolutely love the typeface. It embodies the club, the history, but also the modern era. I'm happy to sign it off right here and then. And I was like, what the? so my, in my head is going, because when do you ever get sign off in one first meeting? Again, very rarely happens at that magnitude and that scale. I'm sitting there and I'm going, try to keep cool. But there's a little boy and he just celebrates. So I start going, yes. And everyone starts laughing. But then I remember walking out of that stadium. And I remember getting in my car and I looked up at the stadium and all the emotion just came to me. Man, and I burst into tears. And I'm, I'm an emotional guy because I put my heart and soul into this. And we have just created the typeface for Rangers and it's going to be all over this stadium. And then the pandemic happened. So I had to wait for like another two years before it launched. But when it did, it meant everything to me. And it, I was emotionally spent. I felt like I had to evolve as a creative at that point. I had something, I had to free myself up because I'm sure you know from typography, the constraints you get, the this like one point to this point to that point and I was just kind of I put everything into this I need to change I need to free myself up and I need to explore something different because that was a pinnacle for me that was my dream project when I was starting off I was like if I create the Tigers for Rangers it's game over I'm moving on and I've always said that to myself and I'm so proud of myself for doing that because like you say you would expect the doors to open and they did open and some other big Cubs came on board and they were asking it, but I had zero interest. But everything happens for a reason because it led me to the path where I am today, becoming the visual artist, which is everything I've dreamed about. And it's pushed me towards that, drawn a line under it, and I've moved on. And I wanted a new challenge. I wanted to try something different as well. And that's what happened and leading to this point now, which is unbelievable. Doing what I'm doing today and painting and exploring and what I'm producing now is such a unique thing. Like there's technically no one in the world doing what I'm doing with acrylic fusion mm. and I think that's a unique selling product and that's why specifically brands are wanting to collaborate as well and I think you were mentioning about the promotional aspect the marketing aspect that's something that I've invested in heavily over the year I've known how important it is to sh how to showcase your work and invest in photography videography as well I think it's a misstep by a lot of people thinking it's a side product. We don't need really, we could just shoot it on our iPhone or 
We don't need to bring someone else in. I've invested heavily in that marketing aspect. Come back you know, since I started from the artist. And it's hugely paid off because I've got the mindset of how would a brand react to that? How could that asset help a brand product or a brand activation or something like that? And I purposely went for the brands right away. And I'm no upside tangent in this story here, but I think it makes sense because as a lot of artists who start out kind of thing, they go to art school, which I never did. They go to art school, study for so many years. They do an exhibition, they do a body of work for a period of time. Hopefully someone buys it. Hopefully get a gallery showing. Hopefully down the line, a brand may take it on board and then bring collaborations. And that felt like such a long time. And I thought, you know what? I've got the experience, which I learned from design, from typography, how brands work, how marketing campaigns work. I'm going to use that knowledge into my art career and utilize it. So that hence, when I started off as an artist, I'm going for a juggler. I'm going to work with brands right away. I'm going to show how my artwork can influence brands in a positive aspect and do something that's never been created before. So when it started off in footballs and then it's led to other sports, it's led to other furniture, it's led to all kind of brands now. And it's just constant. It's constant brand collaborations, which is fantastic. And now we're stepping into the art world now where we've got exhibitions lined up all across the world and things two years from now happening. And it's just mental. And it's amazing to how it's all coming about. And yeah, I still admire the level of self-awareness. Of you, you tick off your, your dream list and that's where the sort of journey of that particular chapter stops because, you know, you always dream, always, especially we sort of coming through the ranks for the last 20 years and you see different peers, contemporaries, and everyone wants to work with the big name. They're like, oh, I want to work with this and that. And when I've, for example, experienced this, it was never a sort of work in the park. It was never like, oh shit, let's do this again. It was like, well, we've done this. Let's do actually something more for the soul rather for the bigger corporations and stuff, because the most of the bigger projects are always mismanaged and mishandled, especially if you're just a part of the machine. We can understand why, you know, you've decided that, okay, you know what, this is enough for now. And your presentations only make me think of, of, of the simple rule that if you're enthusiastic and you do your work and you're prepared, you're likely to win over hearts and minds because that's what it is. You see the first-hand experience that if you're actually excited about what you're doing and not indifferent, that's half of the job. That's half of the, you know, that's half of the part of winning work or winning projects. And yeah, it sounds like that moment was quite not exception and, and crazy. But what I want to talk about, what you actually mentioned that you said you're potentially the only person doing what you do in the world right now. As what internet makes, internet breaks. Did you, did you ever think? Would I have to up my game because lots of people will show up doing the same thing? Because you're, you're bound to inspire someone uh, who's going to do the same thing. Where do you see what you're doing now? And this is always going to be you, but do you have a vision where, where this is going just to sort of stay ahead of, of the rest? Anyone who doesn't know what I do. So my specialist technique what? is called acrylic fusion. Acrylic fusion is essentially acrylic paints mixed together to create interesting and mesmerizing effects. And I basically pour it on anything I can get my hands on. I've realized what I've built is brand and a connotation to acrylic fusion. So over the years, it's getting to a point now where if I was to create a piece of artwork, people will look at it and go, that's a great black. That's a great black, which is fantastic. And that's a great place to be as an artist. And I do understand that the, by me doing this, and there is going to be copycats along the way or people trying to do something similar and that's fine but at the end of the day that constantly pushes me to evolve and try something different and keep pushing my thing at the start of this artist career you would have seen football heaven i was working with self-initiated project that worked with uefa premier league and i got to go to the fifa world cup i was known as the, the, the scottish guy who paid some footballs but i was very strategic in the sense of i don't want to be pigeonholed with that so I was making sure that I was painting on bikes basketballs any other kind of stuff to make sure that I can show my versatility and that is very important that I'm starting to think visually and think strategically of how the business can grow in different areas for instance immersive experiences live art performances and that's something that's organically happened since the start of the career and it, what I mean by live art performances basically creating artworks live in front of an audience and doing my acrylic fusion technique. And again, that's never been done before. To my knowledge and what I've heard from every brand that I've worked with and various other brands that they've never seen anything like what I do. So I'm bringing something to the table that no one's done, but 
it's not for me it's, it's getting up the level so for instance because I started off on just doing football but now it's getting bigger it's like a bigger ball can it be even scale of size of that can it be the size of a building can it be more of an immersive experience can it be project mapping the acrylic fusion across buildings can it be whatever like digital experiences mixed in with the analog stuff we're stepping into that territory now of pushing the boundaries of what could be done and I think what's quite beautiful about it is it all comes from an analog and a real place and physical place and then it can grow from there so for instance the very recent project I did was with a collaboration with Porsche where I've created this unbelievable car wrap for the Porsche Taycan a dream opportunity in collaboration and that all started from a 60 centimeter by 60 centimeter wooden board where I put paint on the board, created a texture, done a high-res photograph of it, a super high-res that would be so big that it could become a car wrap. That was the very first time I've ever done some sort of wrap and the results were mind-blowing. And then what it's done is because I've released that with Porsche, as you can imagine, we've had various other people contacting us going, oh, can we have this kind of, can this result in X of this building or can it be across this thing or whatever? We're already evolving and pushing the boundaries of what can be done. And I think it's very, very important to do that and not just rest on the laurels and just keep painting footballs because at some point it's going to be a bit, possibly for me, I've always needed a challenge. I'm always kept on my toes. That's how I evolve. I always constantly push myself. Even if no one's physically going, oh, you should try this. Like, it's me. It's my creative. I think if you've got that innate thing and you're going, how could this work? How can we take this further? And you, you, you've got ideas. Sometimes it comes out of nowhere and sometimes it takes weeks and months to develop. But you've got to be willing to allow that process to happen. Let's get back to when you mentioned before, like I was two years in the background. If you're seeing the first acrylic fusion artwork I did compared to now, you'd be like, oh my God, that's shocking. In my eyes, that was terrible. But I was allowing myself that process to learn and experiment and try like even from the first football the self-initiated footballs that i did the fusion series footballs like you've seen seven footballs the reality was it was 50 footballs i did and every pore on a one ball you can't like command z or you can't reuse it i've got one goal a huge amount mm-hmm. of work in the background of that like i mean we went down to we put all of our money into that project going this this is going to work we put everything on the line and I had so much self-belief in it. Like, I really believed in it. And I think when, it's just going back to, like, mindset as well. Like, I have this incredible, positive mindset. And I believe in visualization. I believe in manifestation as well. And I think, see, all of these things that have happened for me is because of having that mindset. Like, having robust, being disciplined, all these things happen. The moment a doubt comes in, I kick it out. I go, fuck off. Like, I'm not having it. Because... I can't expect anyone else to believe in me if I don't believe in myself. And that is one of the key things. And that's why everything has happened. And that's why Ali, she's developed so much in this role because of not only the belief I have in her, but the belief she has in herself, which she's seen and it's rapidly enhanced her business in our life as well. I don't even know what the question was now. And I've just went in a spiral, but... um don't you worry. Now, it's interesting about a football because I wanted to ask you how long does it take to create a piece and like what goes in, in the piece because you might have the naysayers and go like, well, you just mix the paint and you just pour it on the football. Obviously, that's just that, you know. But it's it's that sort of thing about you know, 10,000 hours of like actually spending time on your development because there's a, I think it's an, is it in a Rebel Ideas or Black Book Thinking by, or is it Black Book Thinking by Syed Guy? He said, basically, David Beckham just kicked the ball 10,000 times. Like he was literally kicking it, kicking it, kicking it, kicking it, kicking it. And that's how you get good, right? So it's amazing to hear that one football isn't one football or seven footballs. It's actually 50 footballs. And it's amazing to hear that actually you guys put money into this because I have spent the last 10 months not accepting any new work and pretty much spending everything that I have saved or kind of happened to have, you know, left and, you know, went into sort of producing two more books, deciding that that's what I'm going to do because What's in the book, if you remember, there's two things. Well, there's actually four. There's the feel, the fuel, the magic formula, and the superpower. And what you describe, and I can sense your feel, and I can sense the fuel, you know, like you're like, I'm doing this. I don't doubt myself. I'm doing this. And the feel is like, we're going to carry on. Because if, as you said, if I don't believe in myself, no one would do that. You don't want to even like 
instigated doubt in anyone, like oh, th- this is what's coming out. And I think, would you say this, this, this approach comes with age, but did you always feel like you were a hundred percent believing yourself or, cause there's definitely time in age, like for example, when I published my first book, hope it's okay. Whereas now I'm like, this is the product, this is the best I can do now. And we, this, here it is. I think for me, like go back to when I was younger, like I used to play professional football when I was younger for my local team from, I think I signed my contract when I was 16 or 17, 16 to about 21. And I always had this self-belief that I was good enough to play. And unfortunately, the opportunities didn't come for me to push on, but I never wavered in terms of, I knew I was good enough. I knew I was good enough. And I think, and it wasn't like someone always gave me a pat on the back. Cause I felt like if I can be my own cheerleader, that's the biggest thing I could ever have. And in that confidence in yourself is so powerful. It's honestly so powerful. And it's something that you have to, you do develop over the years because you, I don't get wrong with that. I've had plenty of knocks in my life that in a battle with down went, am I really that good? Am I? And you do question yourself, but then you, I have to quickly reset my mind. And this goes back to the mindset thing. Go, you know what? I'm good enough. Why not me? Why not this? guy from a small town in Scotland be able to create artworks for some of the biggest brands across the world. Why not? Why should it be someone else? Having that mindset from an early age and building that up over the years does get stronger and stronger and stronger because as I get older, the responsibility of having a family and all those kind of things and that pressure of having that is is fantastic and I love that pressure um, and I thrive in it. But it all comes back to that innate self-belief and that point, if I can, if a brand reaches out to me, right, and I do something and I go, oh, I don't know if this is going to hit an audience and stuff, it's not going to benefit them. It's not going to benefit the audience. Like, if I go, you know what, I'm going to give this my all, I'll give this all my passion, all my enthusiasm, and that's the best I can do. And see, by doing that, you give it all out, you get a, such a positive response, whether it's one person or a hundred thousand people, it doesn't really matter because one thing, you're building up that self-confidence within yourself. And that's such a powerful tool. And I think always people have to look outside to gain confidence, whereas they should be looking inside. Because that's the biggest tool, biggest power you can ever have is that innate self-belief. And that's what I've had. And I think that's what's, to be honest, a huge driver for why everything has happened the way it is. It's just that constant striving for positivity and making things happen and just go. And I come back to that thing. Why not this guy from Scotland to be able to do this? Why not? I think, I think what you're describing is just that doubt when you draw one line and you're like, is that a good line? Should I draw another line? Should I draw a circle? And I think what you described, what I'm sensing from the conversation is that and you find your purpose and you find a medium to the carrier because then you can believe in yourself, but not necessarily like know what to do with it. You know, like you can just you know, come across in, in a way without a purpose, a little bit some misguidance as a regular person. Whereas if you, if you see this, for example, what I call the fuel, it's, just, it's a blind obsession. It's just like you want to do it because it makes you feel something that you just, that there's, that there's an incredible thing of like, the more you do it, it's just the, no, the mood follows action. Obviously. Like it's, you can't expect for something to fall into place first time and go, I'm happy now. This is all worked out. Let's go home. It's like, this is going to be hours. This is going to be time and time again. And I've been saying on this podcast a few times that when I started, I didn't have an imposter syndrome. I had the opposite. I had an idiot syndrome because I was like, I'm here. Let me do it. They were like, easy, easy, you know, like, but it's just that excitement about, I can do this. Is this my chance? And especially when I've gone on my own, no one tells me what to do. And you know, my drive was the responsibility. Like my rent was cheap. So I was like, let's do this. It's like, let's actually just explore and grow. And obviously now I think a lot more scarier in the way of responsibilities and mortgages and kids in schools and that kind of stuff. But that gives you the drive. That gives you something that there's only one chance. Why would you not do it? Why would you not explore it? Because you can sometimes sort of argue, right? Okay. Is it easier if I'm from an artist in Montreal because that's cheaper? Or is it easier if I'm an artist in Scotland because that's cheaper than London? But when you look at it, like it never guarantees that wherever you are, that's what gives you the best sort of foundation for being an artist and being famous. Did you ever, with the location, I mean, you say you live in London for a couple of hours, but did you ever think, oh, this is going to be hard because I'm an artist in Scotland? For me, happiness is the key. It's key to a successful life and a successful business. When I was in London, when I graduated, I had this desire to be in London because I thought the best of the best is down there and I want to go and learn from them and I want to become the best and the best I could possibly be. 
And when I got there for two and a half years, I felt I was constantly fighting within myself to try and enjoy the place and just try and enjoy everything about it. And it just didn't work for me. And then after I met Ali, because Ali was back in her hometown and she basically moved to London to stay with me and try to make something work in London and we both just didn't enjoy it. It's just not our culture. It's not our lifestyle. It's not the way we want to be. We stay in a beautiful like coastal town, fresh air. All our friends and family are here. And I needed that. I needed that massively at that point in my life. And this is at the very beginning of me starting my agency when I was struggling, really struggling. And everything was calling me to go back home. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made was coming back home. And when I did come back home, I flourished because I had that support system, I guess, from Ali, my family and friends, and being able to enjoy the lifestyle here and the culture. And it's got to a point now where we work with brands all across the world from California, Australia, wherever. And every single one of them want to come to the, the sweet small town that we stay in in Scotland because it's different and it's like a different way of life as well. And every single, all our friends and family always ask me and Ali, are you guys going to move to like California or Sydney or in Latin? I'm like, no, like our flag is here. This is where our flag is. We stay here. We love going away and working away, but one thing we did the same and coming back. And I think and because we have a little girl as well, is having that foundation around her, it's so important. And that's a key thing for us as well. And we've got an amazing studio space and I just love it. And I think that happiness, finding that happiness is a key thing. And I never, ever let the fact that I was in Scotland affect me working with some of the biggest brands across the world. Because if a client reached out to me in London saying, listen, we would love to meet you in person. I'm like, right, cool. I've got on a flight tomorrow. I'll come down and see you. An hour flight from Glasgow, straight down. And then I'll be in and out within a day. Bingo. When you simplify things and start to realise that, obviously the pandemic changed a lot of things in terms of working from home and the reality you can work with people all across the world, whether in, like you said before, all across the world in different places. It's been a huge benefit for us, but I think having that base and having that solid grounding is so important. For me personally, and having that, like, my, I'll be honest, my studio is 30 seconds away from where I grew up, which is crazy. I never, never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would wow. studio here. I've walked past this place about a million times growing up. I used to kick the ball against the wall. We used to be different businesses. I never, ever dreamed that this would be my studio. And then one day, for nearly, what, three, four years ago now, seeing it become, it was turned into a creative workspace. And I was like, oh, is that a studio? And then, We've got this amazing, beautiful view from a studio. It's perfect space. Amazing creatives working here as well that we collaborate with as well. Yeah, location is a big factor for if that was the question. I can't even remember exactly, but being here is a big part of how I'm producing great quality work is because I'm happy in my personal life because it makes an effect in my business life. I mean, it's summarized beautifully. I mean, it's just, I remember being excited about wanting to live in Piccadilly Circus. I was just like, I was in my late 20s, moving to London, <clears throat> having made a name for myself in a small border of Southampton, like living, like again, near the water. And I guess when you think about it, like, only by being in a bigger place, you kind of, you put yourself on, more, under more pressure going like, I need to conform to sets and, you know, pace, I need to do this because, you know, there's lots of people that you kind of feel like what I mentioned in my second book, like the highway of life and creativity, like we just, we feel like because there's a buzz and there's a fastness, you know, there's boldness. Then sometimes we feel like we sort of, we, we are suckers for it because we're like, oh, I need to do this. Whereas when you remove yourself from the whole scenario and your magic formula being exactly what you do, it doesn't matter where you live or what you do or not and what language you speak, because what you produce is universally accepted and understood. It actually makes it even more exciting because where you are, even more of a story. And one day when there's a documentary, you know, about you, like, it's just going to be people be like, oh shit, I want to live that with that. That's really good. You know? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that's a great decision. I mean, I, I live now on the outskirts of London and I think that's the best decision we've ever made. You know, I'm looking at, I look at trees outside my house and I think that comes with age because I wanted to look at people and tubes, whatever. That That's just the sort of journey of life. But I want to go back to your work for a second. You talk about confidence and how you know, actually you, you, you're ready for those projects. Every time I go on stage, the 10 seconds before the steps, you're like, I wish I could just sit down. I don't want to do it. 
is that moment is like me, I'm here for the reason, but I don't really want to do it for the next 10 seconds until you get on the stage and do it. With your live shows, obviously you are very much in the spotlight. So you've got your gear, you've got your show sets up, obviously you've got people watching. How do you feel when you go on stage? Do you, do you get those 10 seconds of like, oh, I wish not, or are you, are you ready? This is weird because I thought I would have felt that, but I don't. And the reason for that is I'm so innate and intrinsic with what I'm doing now with Acrylic Fusion. When I'm doing this, I feel like I'm in this zone. So whether I'm performing in front of five people or 50,000 people, I'll be the exact same. Because what happens is you do get that, I think when you start to mix the paints and you look around and you go, right, there's quite a big crowd here now. They're starting to hear. But as soon as that moment that I'm literally about to start painting, it's just t- tunnel vision. It's me and the artwork and that's it. I've focused. It's like a different ball game. And I think I learned this from football, actually, where when it becomes game time, as soon as that whistle's kicked, that's it. It's just a game. The, the noise from the crowd is it's a blur because all you're doing is immensely focused on what you need to do at that moment in time. And I think that's played a huge part in what I'm doing right now. And so when I'm doing this, whether it's painting a, a spear or, or whatever it would be, it's just me and that ball, me and that artwork, and that's it. I honestly don't care what's going on around me because I'm concentrating so much. And what people don't realise is when I'm creating my artworks, as much as it looks so immensely easy to do, it's not. It's really not. And I've made it look easy because of the hard grafting miles I've been back in that 10,000 hours of work in the background. But what happens is you're constantly problem solving as well. Because when I'm pouring paint, if I'm trying to create a certain color scheme or certain flow of pain like I need to think three steps ahead of myself because if you imagine the top end of say a ball and I pour paint and when I finish if gravity is going to take hold and it's going to come down to a certain level I'm constantly thinking in my head how can I make this better how can I make this exciting and all those kind of things I'm so focused on what I'm going to do and what I realize is and the feedback I've got from a lot of the crowd or brands who whoever is that I am actually part of the performance. Like I always, at first I always thought it was just the artwork. I'm just creating something nice and ta-da, here you go. But then because of the way that I go tunnel vision and focus, that becomes intrinsic with it, the thing as well. Like I'm, it's like a weird, it's like a bloody like a Terminator probably when I'm in that mode. It's just like a switch and I'm like, I set game time and I'm ready to go. And I just perform and I don't, I just this crazy feeling that just overwhelms me and I'm like, I'm buzzing because at the end of the day, I don't know what this artwork's going to turn out like. I honestly don't. I can plan all the colours. I can have a vision in my head. But the reality is, I've got no idea what's going to happen next. And I fucking love that. I love that fear in a way, in that like moment of going, oh shit. But then I'm the only one in the world who can deal with this situation and make it the best it could possibly and I'm going to go for it. And I just think that pressure is, I use it to my strength rather than a weakness. Rather than let it, let it crumble me, I'm using it to push me and elevate me. And that's why these things are happening, these opportunities are doing it, because I'm doing all these things and it's just crazy how it all happens. And even when Ali says, I'm honestly, she could shout and talk to me and I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally on because I'm making these artworks. I guess it is, it's, it's something that I've developed over the years as well. Like It's not something that's just like, bingo, like I'm just this robot when I come and say, I'm not a robot, but what I mean is focused kind of thing. Because at the end of the day, people have turned up to the bought their ticket to the show, you need to perform the show, and that's exactly what I need to do. It's again getting back to my being a professional footballer. This has massively helped me throughout my career and taking parts of my earlier life to now influencing what I'm doing now. Would you describe that? What I've, well, from my understanding, it's definitely flow states. Basically, you reach a state of flow where you just you just at one pushing yourself doing the thing, and. Sometimes doing the research on flow states, sometimes you think like, how can you actually get yourself in that state? You know, like, how can I engineer this stuff? And you can type in into like into YouTube, like, how do I do flow states? And people will tell you how to do it. You can set all the conditions and it might not happen because you, you need to show up and you need to do that. So the way you said, how do you connect in? I think that's a great way, like of someone actually in first hand telling me you, you block out. And obviously like when you, when someone's going to run hundred meters, or whatever they do, long jump, whatever, like the professional violin player or the content pianist, they block out, they perform there at that moment. And I think it's amazing that you can actually almost achieve it on demand. Like obviously you've got your media, you've got your, well, unfortunately, calling it passion, you've got your passion, you've got your drive, you've got your purpose. 
and that falls in into place. And that, as we just said, like that was years in the making of how to do it. You've got your Craig Blag on stage wearing your stencil uh, words and on your down your spine, and then you've got Craig in the studio. How much of a flow stage you get in the studio? How much of it is a battleground? How much of it is easy, or how much of it is enjoyment? Well, well, I'll be. It's exactly the same. Exactly the same because every time that I do this, I've technically got one shot. I've only got one shot to do because I could have 10 balls, but the reality is like, I've got one chance of doing it right. And I think when you, when I get prepared for that moment, instead of to sink in with him, what I'm trying to achieve, it's expensive to do. Do you know what I mean? Like buying the ball, buying the pain, getting it, it's time consuming, all those kind of things. Just develop this technique. And I'm so intrinsic with it now. It's like, it's just this tunnel vision focus that I have and come back to that discipline as well. So when I am doing, I'm creating artworks right now for a solo show I'm doing in Australia. I've only got one of one object sitting right beside me right now. I've got to get this right. I've got to get it right. And that's more for myself. And I think that's what pushes me because every single pour that I do is so unique. I could do the same ball, same colours, do it 10 times and every single one will be different. And that's a unique selling point. What I'm providing is every time I'm doing it is it's intrinsic and so unique that it becomes one of one. Do you have practice ground? Is it all like one shot and that's it? Like I'm sure there's development in the background. Like is this not, oh, look, it's just one shot. Is that, you know, 50 times we keep one. But do you have like a practice ground? Do you like see what you can do with it? Like how do you push the medium? What's going to be next? It's tough right now because it's so, so incredibly busy. So now it's just like back to back projects and stuff like that sometimes i'll be honest is i have this theory in my head of how would this work if i pour white paint on this area on a board for instance and sometimes i just have to go for it during that one project it's crazy and bonkers but that's the way that i work so what i'm doing i'm creating artworks for now my social and that is allowing me time to experiment a little bit as well but at the same time i've got a deadline to get this done i need to get it done but what people don't realize is well See, the two years prior to me launching, I'd done a hell of a lot of practice time. Hell of a lot of practice time. So now when it comes to the point now is, boom, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm not doing. Yes, I'm constantly problem solving. I'm constantly, even if it's a 1% increase in productivity and getting a little bit better, I'm always looking for that little 1% to get better each time. Could it be the movement of the board? Could it be trying this? Can I blow a certain, my breath in a certain way or whatever? But I don't have a huge amount of time to practice and hopefully maybe further down the line where we've got time to put a, take a foot off the gas. But I'll be honest, right now I'm going full throttle. <laughs> we're going and we're creating all these amazing opportunities and traveling the world. So I need to be on the ball and go for it. But again, that the willingness to fail while you're doing this as well is another element to it. Even though I'm like, I fuck, I need to get this right. There's a part of me going, fuck it, let's try it. And I'll just go for it. And that could be a live art show. That could be me doing a one-off piece in the studio. And I, I don't know, I just maybe, I don't know if that's a good advice for anyone, but it works for me and it pushes me every single time. And you know what? I always deliver. I always deliver on what it is. And I think having that, being able to push yourself for that is, is quite a special thing. How did you develop your colour scheme? I mean, there's something that I'd really admire of someone who obviously does, does a lot of work with colour. For the last 20 years, I think it was the Wimbledon pieces that you did. And there's always like this sort of this blush orange with sky blue and that kind of stuff. And that is almost like, it's becoming almost as iconic as like Paul Smith stripes. And it just feels like this is the tones of, of Craig Black, which again, not only like what you do is obviously it's really unique in a way. And, and the way you apply it, the way you collaborate again, it just pushes it further, further, further. The colors, it just feels to me, like, I don't know, I mean, again, was it a part of the two-year development as it's an ongoing? Because it's, you can't do Craig Black sort of scheme for, for German world football. But your project, and is that is this something that you're thinking like potentially like there's a trademark that you're working towards and you're thinking that might be like a range of products and stuff? Or? I, I definitely believe so. I'll be honest, my favorite color palette is black and white, which shocks quite a few people because you see a lot of color in what I'm doing. But I love the simplicity of black and white. I love it. But what I found out, so with acrylic fusion, what works really well is three to probably four colors max. One of those colors would be a white. And then what you'd have with those three other colors would be two colors that are 
tonally matching and then one that would be adjacent. And I found that that remedy or recipe, whatever you want to call it, works extremely well. Any more colours added to that becomes either challenging or very messy kind of thing. But having that, as much as that might feel like it's restrictive in terms of having four colours, it's actually kind of good superpower because it simplifies. You know, sometimes when you work with a brand and they give you the colour palette and the 18 colours, you're like, right, I can't use all of that. I need to simplify it. And then because you, what you end up doing is picking out those three main hero colours or whatever they would be, using a white to help create the blend between them all, highlights the brand even more kind of thing. So this is something that I've developed over the years and found that kind of recipe works very well. That has worked across that blue and the peach and the, even the, the dark blue as well. It's something that I naturally gravitate towards, something that I absolutely love. But what I've created a flexible color scheme palette they can work with majority of brands most brands so when they come in nine times out of ten they go can you use our brand color palette I mean, yes of course because i can highlight it in their way but sometimes it's got to a point now where the brands are just saying craig you choose you do what you want you go do your thing now and i'm like brilliant so i'll be honest i think my little girl has played a massive part in this in terms of the color she because she's brought a lot of color to my life basically and she's picking different colours all the time and she's actually comes in and she's got a little mini studio in here she's got a little table she's got her own paints and she's got loads of colour palettes and she'll pick out colours and I start to go that might be pretty cool on X shape or whatever and then she's actually influenced the colour palettes that I've done as well so it comes in strange ways but that's what works for me and it's, it's worked really well that's incredible. Do you sometimes with the live performances of course you, you have to adhere to the colour scheme for brand and stuff but when you see your live performance in the situ of the space, do, do you know in advance, for example, there's something that you can play in unison, like is can you vibe with some colors in, in the room or can you do this? Like, do, do you know in advance and, and do yeah. you make color choices based on that? Usually working with it, whether it's the brand or the event agency. So for instance, we worked at the UEFA Champions League final this year uh, in Istanbul, um, which is unbelievable. And they had a color palette of, for, the, for Istanbul, which was a deep purple to a blue. And I was going to, I'm doing a live art performance in this VIP area just outside the stadium. So the whole area was kitted out in the branding of the purples and the blues. And it was like a pink as well, I believe. And it was actually me. They were, they said to me like, well, oh, you go choose whatever you want kind of thing. But I was like, no, I think we should emphasize these colors because I think the one would be beautiful. But what turned out really well is when they've created that on the ball that I've created, sorry. There was blue lights, there was pink lights as well. It all just sync in one. And it was like, in terms of imagery as well, it was unbelievable. And then a live art setting, it just worked so well. Um, and complemented the area is so... Sometimes it works. And then very recently, I was in the Science Centre doing, working with the Penta Awards. And I've loved it. I've always loved the idea of doing the big spheres, like looking like planets. And they gave me a colour, it was a colour part of black and white. So I was so happy about it. But I was making these big spheres looking like planets inside the Science Museum. And it was just such a cool moment to have to be creating artworks like that in that surrounding area. And it just looked amazing in that space kind of thing. Seeing those achievements, the way you do it, how you promote it, how it's executed, how you sort of progress, how you evolve, it's mind-blowing and it's inspiring because obviously you made a plan, you stuck to it. That's incredible. Penta Awards, I love what you did with the, the actual award because it was just, it, it's undeniably Craig, Craig Black. It's just, you don't have to have your four colors, so you don't have to do this. It's, it's incredible. I'm going to ask you a question, which uh, hopefully there's no answer to, because do you ever feel like you fell with the Rangers typeface? Do you, maybe that's enough. Maybe we need to try something different. Like, do you need to sort of refresh? I mean, because, yeah, because sometimes I'm sure that when you were typography, you never really thought maybe you did, but. Did you feel like, okay, I can't see myself doing anything different in life. And then five years later, I can't see myself doing that again, what I did five years ago. Like we sort of move and evolve and change. I'm sure you've got 25 different aces up your sleeve or what, what might be coming up next. But do you ever feel there'll be natural evolution out of this? I think there will be an evolution of the art career. What I'm doing now is what I've always dreamed about doing. With the type stuff, I hit a ceiling. There was no one more I could have done in that area that would have gave me the happiness or the enjoyment of it anymore. But what I'm seeing with acrylic fusion is this evolution of the art process. Like I mentioned before, like I started off on a simple 
footfall behind me and now we're getting into spaces where I'm creating cars, I'm creating immersive experiences, there's conversations of buildings, there's huge large-scale stuff, sculpture work, all these kind of mad large-scale stuff and digital experiences as well and I love that. I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to do it or how it comes about and why it was going to come about but I get a huge excitement about that and I love stepping into a territory where I have absolutely no idea about. I love that challenge and as much as it scares the living daylights out of me, again I mentioned it before, I thrive in that and that fear because I feel like it's basically I feel the fear and do it anyway. So I definitely see a, an evolution of the acrylic fusion process. I don't know exactly where it would be but I, I could honestly say I could be doing this for the rest of my life because it gives me so much joy. It really does. And to be like, going back to what I said in the very, very beginning, but doing this as a family business. So it's just me, my wife, Ali, and my daughter, Olivia. This is a team. We work with external partners who are fantastic and they deliver every single time. We love that nimbleness, the flexibility. We don't have any huge ambitions to have a massive studio and there's 10, 15, 20 people working with me. I don't have that. I love what we're doing right now. I love the fact that we can do it together. And I think what's quite beautiful about it is sometimes when you, we reflect a lot on the achievements we've done in working with Porsche and FIFA and all these kind of NBA, NFL. And then I turn around to Ali and go, we did that. Me and you, not an agency, not working for someone else who handed that to us. Me and you made that happen. And that's one of the best feelings in the world, knowing that you, and when you have those certain moments, you know you're capable of so much more. And it gives you that confidence to go on and go, you know, what else can I do next? And if you see, if you look at artists over the past 30, 40 years, the evolution of their work, even Picasso, you look at all those greats, the, all the legends of the game, they've always evolved. And it's just a natural progression because your curiosity goes in different places, your taste buds change. And it might be something different with acrylic fusion, it might be something totally different, I've got no idea, but right now I'm loving this wave and I'm going to keep riding it until it keeps going and see what happens next. I've got a feeling that even though you've mentioned all the biggest greats, you know, Picasso's and all of those, they always had a peaks and troughs in their careers. But I feel like in your career, it's just only going up and that's, that's where it's going to continue and that's how it's going to grow because I feel like you're doing it for yourself and for the family rather than look how popular and famous and successful I am because what you've displayed in this conversation is just amazing. As I keep repeating myself, self-awareness. So then you sound like, to me, you sound like someone who knows that enough. You know, this is enough. This is, this is great. We didn't know this was possible and we can do more than this. That's enough. You don't feel like, oh, we need to double up. We need to triple this. We need to scale up. We need to do this because you're always keeping it within that family size business, within that sort of scenario and the boundaries. And this is what I found even myself. Like when you're looking at growth, you have to change who you are. You have to work differently. You, you can't even sacrifice on something because of an exchange. Whereas if you keep in just with the compounds and the magic formula within your superpowers, you know, your, your determination and your stamina, then that's easier to actually just manage because you can rem remain true to yourself and experiment and see. And if you feel like tomorrow is a family day, let's close the doors, then you can do it. And I think that's something that I found for the last sort of nine months, you know, like change and pivoting and finding that, you know, what you're describing is that's a terrible, incredible way to, to live and work and create and, totally. and be happy and have some fresh sea air because <laughs> exactly mate, that's incredible. So Craig, I, we can talk about it for another three hours easily because I've got so many Porsche questions and we've got so many other questions. We can talk about UEFA for hours, but I hope we summarize the essence of what you do. And, and yeah, you're someone that I've been watching, not even from afar, you know, watching quite close up and. Yeah, I think you could literally create a playbook on how to become a visual artist, how to promote yourself, how to do it properly with a patient. So yeah, thank you for coming on the show and thank you for the chat and thank you for being honest and yeah, telling us a little bit behind the scenes because I think that's a conversation I wish I was always having with you, you know, something over a pint, but I'm glad we recorded it for everyone to hear. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. And I love the books, by the way. Anyone listening, you need to get Radim's new books. They're absolutely incredible. Definitely go purchase it now. Game changers, mate. Well done. And huge congratulations to you, mate, and everything that you've been doing. It's really amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creativity for Sale podcast. 
This show was produced and presented by me, Radim Marnic. Editing and audio production was masterfully done by Neil McKay. Theme music was written and produced by Robert Summerfield. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating or review. To get your own action plan on how to start and grow a life-changing creative business, you can get a copy of Creativity for Sale book via the links and show notes. As always, keep those creators' fires burning and until next time, I'm Radim Malinich, your guide through this exploration of passion, creativity, innovation and the boundless potential within us all. Thank you.